As a mom, it's really made me consider what we even knew about our bodies before that set us up that we had these expectations that were not met. Um, mm. And, you know, I think the first time we're given permission to talk about this part of our body is after we have babies. And, you know, if that didn't go the way you planned, then your first experience is like, oh my God, my body failed me. Um, those of us that had orthopedic issues, you know, prior to kids, we already kind of had that conversation. <laughs> I, I had hip FAI surgery um, 15 oh, years you? ago. When you find limitations, you think, oh gosh, well, I did this to myself or whatnot. And the fact of the matter is no. And that, again, that makes me go back and ask the questions. Some of the common questions I ask are like, what sports did you do growing up? Or did you play a wind instrument? Or did you sing? Or what were the biases that were set? Welcome to Mom Strength, a podcast and movement to empower, educate, and showcase mom strength inside and out. I'm your host, Surabhi Veach, physiotherapist and fitness coach, also known as the Passionate Physio. Join me for discussions on movement, mindset, and motherhood, where we raise the bar and challenge the status quo. Get ready for expert interviews and real, honest conversations where we explore physical, mental, and emotional health. Let's celebrate the beautiful diversity and common experiences in all of our journeys. Let's do this. Hello, friends. This is Surabhi welcoming you back to the Mom Strength Podcast. And I'm so excited to have on Carrie Pagliano today, who is a very special guest, who is one of my uh, inspirations and mentors. And let me tell you a little bit about her. She is a postpartum expert. She's a pelvic physiotherapist. She helps women return back to all sorts of sports and activities, postpartum, lifting, running, yoga, um, strength training you know, before and after having having children. And she's also an excellent myth buster and truth teller on Instagram. She has a series of myth busting Mondays, I believe, that goes back, I don't even know how many weeks and years. Um, but she busts these huge myths that we all just assume to be true about pelvic health, about women's health and postpartum health um, and return to exercise. Um, she's based out of Arlington, Virginia, and she offers tons of online courses and support both for postpartum people and for professionals. So let's welcome Carrie on here today. Hi, Carrie. Thank you for coming on here. Thank you so much. I was looking forward to this all week. <laughs> So how, like, I know you've kind of, you've had a huge career already. Can you tell me about how you led into this path of post or uh, pelvic health and what um, brought you to the work that you do today? Yeah, it's it, honestly it, in the rear view, I can see the thread that connects it. But at the time, um, I mean, I, I don't remember covering any sort of pelvic health in PT school. It was definitely not an interest. Um I graduated 22 years ago. I think so. It, it, pelvic health wasn't even really a thing so much in our profession. And um, there weren't a lot of jobs. And about a year and a half, I think, after I graduated, um, I had ended back up in upstate New York, where I'm from, just a little bit south of you. 
um, and just didn't want to be there and wanted to get to the city. And there was a job that came up in Washington, D.C., but I had to do pelvic health. And at the time, it was just women's health. Mm. And I said, great, fine, I'll do it. Get me out of here. Um, <laughs> so I took it. And um, so I, I moved to D.C. right before 9-11. So that was oh, an wow. interesting year. Um, and I had this amazing mentor, Karen Liberi. She's um, in Michigan, I think now. And um, bless her heart, she put up with, uh, you know, 23-year-old me. Um, <laughs> and, you know, all the, <laughs> the, the things where you make fun of pelvic health and do pelvic health jokes. Yeah, <laughs> the things where you're like giggling about it and you're like, ooh. Totally, <laughs> totally. And um, so that was my start, but that's not really... I think when it kind of finally hit me. So I did it for a bit. Um, and that was kind of back in the day when um, pelvic pain was a lot of, um, you know, okay, do some relaxation, go see psych. Um, and incontinence was a lot of kegels. So it wasn't mm. that stimulating, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. And um, I, I kind of shifted out of that job and, and did a little bit here and there. And then um, started to do a little bit more in a different practice. Um, but it was very separate from my, my background is actually primary orthopedics is, is where I, I kind of spent most of my time initially. And um, some things changed with a job. And um, I started working at Georgetown University Hospital um, on the side to pick up some hours for make a little extra money for my wedding and doing pelvic health. And people seem to want that and started doing more there and then realized that separating orthopedics and pelvic health was really stupid and didn't make any sense because yes. pelvic health was really just orthopedics in a warm, dark place. And <laughs> so that to me just started the journey of mashing everything up and and not just looking at it in isolation. And so I was treating a lot of pelvic pain. I was treating a lot of chronic pain, um, some postpartum stuff. And then in the middle of all that, um, my son, who's almost 11, um, got pregnant with him and um, had totally planned to run through my entire pregnancy, which blew up in my face at about 19 weeks because mm -hmm. I just couldn't anymore because it was too uncomfortable. And then I laminated my birth plan, which was really dumb. <laughs> and we did not read it. And um, both of my kids, he my daughter. No, 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 no. He didn't uh -uh. get the memo? No, he still hasn't gotten the memo. Um, <laughs> so he uh, was, uh, you know, I was going to do all the right things and take the Bradley courses and do whatever and ended up in a three-day induction and an unplanned C-section. Um so that I think was the slippery slope into, I thought I knew all the right things and I could control everything, which yeah. I joke in the DC area, there's a lot of us that are older moms. We have our first kid, you know, mid thirties, you know, most of our kids are geriatric pregnancies. Like that's mom 101 is let go. <laughs> yeah, let go. So, yeah. yeah. And so I think for me, it was just this really rude awakening um, of the things that I was using in my practice with respect to postpartum, like return to leakage and run, or I'm sorry, running and sport and things like that. And that was also my daughter's eight. So she was born in 2013. And that's around the time when the whole CrossFit video came out about 
the OBGYN saying it's totally fine to leak when you do lifts and double unders. So our whole profession literally hated CrossFit. So in the mix of all of this, I'm trying to navigate the fact that I have prolapse. I had diastasis recti after my second. Um, I ended up with two C-sections, which wasn't the plan. Um, leakage, stress incontinence, all these things that I thought that if I just did the right things, I could control. And here I am. This is I'm supposed to be the poster child for what you're supposed to do. And it wasn't working. And what I was giving my clients to do wasn't helping my issue which is incredibly humbling. So mm-hmm. you you either give up on your profession or you admit that maybe what you're doing can't be the whole story and you look for other voices that, you know, point to a different way. And um, fortunately, I was in a great spot to kind of open my eyes and, and really kind of hear voices that I might not have wanted to hear before. Um, You know, some of my inspirations, you know, Anthony Lowe, I'm a huge fan of. um, And just this idea where um, we don't have all the answers and we still have a lot of research to do and we have a lot of things to figure out. And um, that was honestly one of my biggest issues when I became a PT. I had actually thought about stepping out and going to med school. I had gotten so far as to take my MCATs. And then I was like, well, wait, I don't want to do that. Yeah. because I would have clients that wouldn't get better. And I thought maybe, oh, well, the, the, the physician knows what to do and they just haven't shared the secret with me. No, they don't know what the hell to do either. <laughs> I think that's one of those things, such a good point, because as a non-healthcare consumer, yeah. you know, as a regular person who's not in the healthcare field, you assume you go to the expert because they have all the answers. Yep. And when you find out that they don't, you think they're just bad at what they do or, you know, but right. the reality is there aren't always answers to every, every situation. And there's yeah. no like one answer that meets, that answers everyone's problem. Yeah. And I think that you basically, it sounds like you kind of changes, change your paradigm. Like there's a paradigm shift on, you know, this is what I was doing before. And maybe this wasn't the right way or the only way. Yeah. And, you know, let's find out what is going to help these people more and you know you used your own experience um I, I i relate to so much of that because i same thing i come from an orthopedics background and yeah. you can't really separate pelvic health from orthopedic you health can. because it's like we, we can't just forget that this part of the body exists right. that connects the upper and lower and you know it's such a huge part of our our lives and i i was like huh i guess me being fit quote unquote athletic uh, doing all the birth prep classes oh, yeah. didn't you just know. prevent everything. And I had actually a dream birth compared to like, you know, I mean, there were some things that didn't go perfectly, but like it was, yeah. it was fantastic. And then I realized, oh, but that does not gonna, that's not going to save me from diastasis and prolapse and incontinence yep. and all of the postpartum things that I was dealing with. Yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a rude awakening. And I think it was so necessary because yeah. You just take it to the next level of, you know, as a healthcare professional working with people, I feel like there's just so much more empathy and drive yes. to really help people um, yeah. well, come out of it. I, I think it, 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 it gives us a moment to value, you know, it, 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 what we went through sucked. Like I wouldn't wish it on anybody, yeah. but to your point, I mean, when a client comes walking through the door Um, or even when I talk to somebody like my neighbor, for example, she had three kids, 
incredibly ordinary deliveries. Like she doesn't understand what I do at all. She's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm like, that would infuriate me, honestly, to work with somebody that had no sense. I was like, do you understand? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what? So it's, it's, it's like that degree that we like a school hard knocks or whatever. We got the degree from that. So. I know. I know. It, and the thing is, it's, I think, harder as a healthcare professional in the field to experience these symptoms because, you know, it's almost like we, like you said, we're supposed to be the poster child. And if yeah. we ourselves have experienced these issues, like, oh my gosh, you know, we're not perfect. But I always think about it this way. Like dentists don't have perfect teeth with zero cavities. That's a nice way to think about so it. Why would we expect physios to have no injuries and no post, yeah. you know, it's like, there's just pressure. And I think part of it is um, like the fitness world, you know, oh, yeah. you have to have the specific physique to be a fitness trainer, to be trusted. Yeah. And I think then we, we extrapolate that into like physio. We have to have this perfect body yep. with no injuries to like show that we know what we're doing. And it's just not true. But And I, I'm glad that social has kind of gone in that direction. Thank I God. I know. <laughs> and it, maybe it's just the circles we surround ourselves with too, because when you look yeah. at other posts and you're like, wow, this post had 20,000 likes and it's like someone just shaking their abs and saying, this is going to help you lose weight and get yeah. a six pack. You're like, what? Send me that one. I'll myth bust that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I like, I, I almost don't want to share it because then it gets more engagement. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it's also so funny. But what's not funny is that people actually believe that. So can you tell me a little bit about your myth busting yeah. and, you know, the kinds of things that you really find are common myths and, yeah. you know, what do people need to know about that? Yep. So I, when I first started kind of playing more consciously on social media, it was probably two and a half years ago. And I didn't, you know, very typical. You'd want to show your face. You're worried about what to say. And the fact of the matter is you just got to put stuff out there. But the two things I committed to were Mythbuster Monday and Thursday Truth. And Mythbuster Monday, like, that's been going strong. I, I am not running out of things to myths to bust. And it's literally everything from, um, I've got one coming out next week that this one drives me crazy. Mom jeans cause prolapse. I'm like, really? <laughs> really you want to take my mom jeans away now like stupid things what? like that. oh it's just yeah <laughs> like unless your mom jeans are like kardashian corsets you're just fine trust me <laughs> but yet in the next breath they're like oh well you should wear this maternity high-waisted high for it like yeah. come on give me a break i know um and just you know things people being told um oh, well, if you do this, this is going to cause you to have leakage or this is going to cause right. you to have prolapse. Or um, if you're fit in pregnancy, that means you'll have a fit postpartum. Yeah, that's crap. Um, yeah. It's just all these things that we're told. And, and I think that's the biggest thing that I have appreciated more in the last couple of years talking to moms is they come in and they're just dumbfounded. And I am now asking the question of what their expectations were mm. because it matters. I had a, um, a client that um, she finally got in to see me. She said, oh my gosh, I've been waiting so long. And she was only like 11 weeks postpartum. I'm like, whoa, this is still really early. Um, had already seen four other therapists. She mm -hmm. was running 30 miles a week, completely asymptomatically. Wow. 
Um, she'd had a little bit of prolapse symptoms like week two, and then they resolved. And so she was terrified to run any longer than 30 miles a week. Keep in mind, still no symptoms. And I said to her, I was like, well, what were your expectations? And she's like, well, that my organs wouldn't move. I'm like, well, were you aware that your organs moved before this? It's not like they're in there in concrete. Like when you eat and you make stool, things have to move out of the way so your rectum can fill up with stool and things have to move out of the way when your bladder fills up. And so it was based on this conception that like things didn't move. And I'm like, Mm. no, they have to. And, you know, people get stuck on, well, this is my grade of prolapse. I'm like, but you're not symptomatic. So don't worry about it. And I was like, you know what? You just need to, she wanted to run 90 miles a week. And I'm like, then get going, like start to work your way up. I, I see no reason not to. I'm like, what is it going to take for you to walk away from this? You're worried about, you know, you're worried about something happening or this and like, like we've got no indications. You've got four experts telling you you're just fine. And it was this expectation that her organs didn't move and now they were moving. I'm like, no, they always were. (laughs) Well, and I think that's sometimes the danger of like labeling the degree of prolapse so early on too. It's like, if we know that, let's say half of vaginal births will end up with some degree of prolapse, do we really need to label it at like six weeks postpartum and say, oh, you know, I stick, stuck my fingers up here and I get a gold star because I determined you have a grade two. And it's yeah. like, let's step, you know, let's focus on, yeah, what are their person's expectations? I had, I've had many people message me on Instagram and one in particular who has similar, been to four or five different practitioners, um, you know, all different grades, like all different grades. Yeah. And then it's constantly like, but what's right. Is this going to reverse? Is this going to happen? I, I um, think the same person must be messaging me. Honestly, <laughs> I, I, I do wonder about that. Cause I'm like, um, your goals are to lift heavier weights. You didn't have any symptoms till you had your diagnosis. Like there's a yes. huge psychosocial component to hearing yes. somebody tell you that you have this. And my experience, it's hard to remember because so much is foggy in the postpartum phase, but I remember Mm -hmm. feeling heaviness and pressure, but it was a lot worse after I got the diagnosis because I went home and I Googled and I was seeing image after image and I was terrified. And after that, not a day went by where I didn't feel it. I felt it constantly. And I was, yeah, six weeks postpartum. Did I really need to hear that I have like, you know, this degree prolapse and, Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if it was helpful. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, I, I hear the same thing, even if just and it's offhanded comments, too. It's um, when an OB, OBGYN or even a PT is like, oh, you've got a little prolapse. And if they've never gone down that rabbit hole and then they go home and Google, then they're like, oh, my God, I have a prolapse. Do you see a prolapse? Do you see the prolapse? I'm like, yes, if if no one had said that to you, if you had not looked you, the only reason we're having this conversation is if you have symptoms, if you don't like, that's how I can literally have, I can have two clients in the same day. One, I can examine them in every single position. They swear they feel something, which I believe them. Um, but you know, we don't really see anything. And then I can have a client that their rectum is sitting on my table. Mm. And the only reason that they thought to look at it was that it was chafing on their underwear and causing some bleeding. They had no awareness of it whatsoever. Wow. It was like the only way that those two stories can live in the same universe is if severity doesn't equal what our 
sensory perception is where the and that's where honestly I've been extrapolating a ton from pain science and what we know about like central sensitization and what our brain values as far as information goes and again that part of our body we get sex and we get childbirth and some of those things may be good and some of those things may not be so good. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true is there is so much and I think that that's where the pelvic health industry or you know pelvic health in general there is so much pain science tied into it which is what yeah. I think makes it a little bit more complex of an area to absolutely to treat or to work with. But I also think that now, because I'm coming, I'm coming from that orthopedic background, I see the value in understanding more of that in all clients, yeah. because your clients with persistent neck pain, lower back pain, even people with, you know, ACL tears and the psychosocial components, you know, and for those who are listening, who are like, what is a psychosocial thing? It's basically not the biological or the, not the physical component of pain, but the components that are from our emotions, from our cognition, from our behavioral patterns and so many chemistry. other chemistry that goes on that. Yeah. and yeah. things that basically we assume don't have an impact, but actually have such a huge impact in, yeah. you know, how we feel. And so, you know, you work with, you work with people both virtually and in person now yep. at, Am I right? And so how do you find the virtual work? Because I do all virtual and yeah. I'm curious to hear from you who, you know, you do both and how do you yeah. find the virtual, um, virtual care? Um, it made me level up. I mean, um, I did, oh my gosh, I did hundred percent virtual from end of March, 2020 until about mm, June, July, 2020. And then it was about 50% of my caseload up until maybe last summer. So June, 2021. So over a year. Wow. Um, and I think it made me a better clinician because you kind of have to go, you, all you have initially is their story and you have to listen and you have to ask good questions and you have to dive in and look for the why, which I am a huge proponent of just, when you have a complex situation, critical thinking, problem solving, kind of laying everything out and understanding the parts and pieces and then choosing, um, going for low hanging fruit, easy wins, and then going from there. Um, because I think a lot of PTs, we, we get bogged down in stuff and um, go too complex too fast. And then I mm -hmm. think we lose our clients um, that way. And so I, I, I kind of... I. I being a mom, I think makes you understand this a little bit more. Like mom 101 is how little do you need to do? So no one dies. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. how what is the bare minimum you need to do? Yes. So when you have clients that are virtual, you have to take that information, take your best guess. I, I did do some creative camera work and lighting to diagnose some prolapses virtually. Cause you can kind of see what you need to see. Yeah. Like I swear I'm not recording this. Yeah. Um, but you need to rely on things that are very easy to instruct and um, kind of put into play. And that's yeah. where I think um, two of the things that I, I did the most with clients, cause let's just be honest, everybody was in overactivity Yes. Um, because everybody was in fight or flight, whether they realized it or not, because we were all in it. Some of us are still in it. <laughs> I was going to say, I think it's still going on. Like I'm in Toronto, Canada, and I feel like here there's, you know, there's more 
like precautions and restrictions yeah. and whatnot. And even though like just this week, I think all of the gyms and everything have like gone to normal capacity just this week. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're still masking and whatnot, which I think is a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. But it just leads to prolonged amount of time in flight or fight. And you're yeah. just, you know, everyone's yeah. just tense down there. Everyone's yeah. just like holding this totally. base level of tension. And and that was honestly one of the things that I leveraged the most um, was kind of a mindfulness, just of noticing mm-hmm. and just starting with basics like breath. Because um, if you were working from home, if you had kids in homeschool or whatever it was, like there were times that we were all holding our breath and, you know, where that tension creep. And those were really easy things for people to see. And I was astonished at just how big of an impact awareness of jaw and neck tension, awareness of just breathing period. Don't even worry about where the breath is coming from. Just like are you holding your breath when your kids are acting like, you know, crazy people? Like, and just how much that made a difference, not only with pain clients, but um, clients that had leakage or prolapse symptoms or things like that. And it really honestly was in that time that I started to realize I, I've got money, says overactivity is a primary driver in most stress urinary incontinence and a primary driver in a good portion of symptoms with pelvic organ prolapse. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, being virtual also, I think really separated our profession into people that really felt like they need to solely rely on their hands Mm -hmm. and really found their professional identity in their manual skills versus their critical thinking and problem solving, which for me coming from orthopedics and you understand too, like, like, all right, well, I I do a lot with my hands, but there's so much that we can do via movement and instruction and teaching people. And I always worried, you know, JLo's got like her booty, you know, insured or whatever. I was like, should I insure my examining finger? (laughs) In the back of my eyes, I I, I could be, you know, completely paralyzed from the waist down. I can still do my job (laughs) and I can do it really well. Honestly, I've been thinking about the same thing. I'm like, do I need disability insurance? Because like I I can work virtually (laughs) and I know I still need it for other reasons, but yeah, it's it's huge. It's huge because, you know, and I'm an F camp which is, you know, fellow of CAMP, which is the manual therapy organization in Mm. Canada, which is part of IFOMT, which is, again, orthopedics, manual manipulative therapy. And I did all of that training because I thought, in order to be a good orthopedic physio, I need this. And I realized I barely need to use these skills because people do not need that. Nobody's living their, like, they're tight because they're weak. They're not tight Mm. or they're stressed. They're not tight because they're, like, actually truly stiff and need you know uh multiple joints cracked all the time and I was realizing even in clinic you know my strengths are education exercise and really connecting with what the person needs finding out what they're um yeah problem solving and when I switched to virtual I was like this is great this is perfect Because now more people are actually going to do their homework because they know they can't rely on the half hour session of me rubbing their backs or, you know, moving their joints, Uh, which I understand some people still prefer that and want that. But I do think that there is a huge um, kind of a reorganization of our profession to realizing that we're more than just our like hands. Because in, I don't know, here anyways, a lot of people would be like, oh, what's physio? Is it like massage? 
And it's like, yeah. no, it's not. Not yeah. to massage therapy is fantastic, but it's so much more. Yeah. Um, and I think we can't discount our brains and, yeah. you know, our, us figuring out and helping people solve the problems that they need help with. Yeah. And I, I think it also gave an opportunity. And I, I feel like more people, at least here in the States, are, are recognizing this is um, the stereotype of what physio is, is you need to go to this big clinic and be in this wide open space and 17,000 people lined up and, and somebody's working on you the whole time or whatever. Like, I think it's really cracked open what physio can and should be. Like physio should be someone that actually is going to take the time to listen to all the pieces and not shoot you out four minutes later. Yes. And actually take time to connect and problem solve and that can look like you and I talking virtually. It can look like you watching a reel and learning something that's going to make you start to consider physio or consider another option versus like, you know, your, your, your beach body influencer that just had a baby and that sort of thing. So I think it really gave us an opportunity to break out of the stereotypes of who we are and what that looks like Mm -hmm. and the sky's the limit on it you know quite honestly and i I also love that you've been doing this before covid you were on instagram (laughs) because i literally i don't know i was living under a rock i guess but like i didn't even know that physios were on instagram on social media i barely really used it and then i discovered that like oh my gosh this is fantastic for educating people and a yeah. lot of people who can't afford or access resources they're still getting help by following yes. you they're yes. still learning so much by like just reading your reels and your posts and your captions and i think that that's incredible uh, i remember one of the things actually that you yeah. had posted about prolapse and I think that there's a lot of self shame and blame that happens yes. with prolapse in particular. And I think with any, any injury, but you know, prolapse has this deeper <laughs> feeling. There's of a shame. lot to unpack with prolapse. Yeah, and I, <laughs> yeah. I remember reading the post and I had blamed it on the fact that my daughter had a big head and she was yeah. at 41 weeks and that it was a long time pushing. And I was like, yeah. that was the reason. And I remember reading your post and you had said like, you know, that you had blamed it on, you know, whatever reason, but it's not yeah. just one thing. It could be something yeah. that you've had before. You may just not know about it until now. Yeah. And it made me really unpack, like, why am I blaming it on that one thing? And yeah. nobody can know what, what the one reason is because right. there's usually more than one reason. And I think that letting go of some of the blame for your body, for your baby size, or, you know, how they were positioned during birth, all of those things can be so healing in terms of you actually moving forward with your injury. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, I was gonna say for me too. And I, I mean, we both have daughters. And um, as a mom, it's really made me consider what we even knew about our bodies before that set us up that we had these expectations that were not met. Um, mm. And you know, I think the first time we're given permission to talk about this part of our body is after we have babies. And, you know, if that didn't go the way you planned, then your first experience is like, oh my God, my body failed me. Um, those of us that had orthopedic issues, you know, prior to kids, we already kind of had that conversation. <laughs> I, I had hip FAI surgery um, 15 oh, did years you? ago. Yeah. Uh, it was before Lady Gaga and A-Rod and that sort of thing. So like totally trendsetter here. Um, <laughs> you were the true celebrity. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. And, um, you know, when you're just, when you find limitations, you think, oh gosh, well I did this to myself or whatnot. And the fact of the matter is 
no. And that, again, that makes me go back and ask the questions. Some of the common questions I ask are like, what sports did you do growing up? Or did you play a wind instrument? Or did you sing? Or what were the biases that were set? I mean, we all know dancers that were taught ballet in a very strict kind of aesthetic sort of way, or if you were in some sort of aesthetic sport, you're going to be much more kind of holding patterns than somebody like me that was a cross country runner and I care less, you know, but I also didn't have the flexibility to do some of those things. So um, I think what we can do going forward, and this is, you know, how how we kind of can kind of reconcile this is how far back do we go? And it's teaching our daughters and our sons the correct anatomy words and Mm -hmm. to be able to look at themselves and be familiar with what those parts look like and to feel ownership over them. And so the first time they look at it isn't after they've just birthed it at eight pounds, six ounce. Um, Cause that's really not fair. No. And I, I always tell people that I'm like, did you ever look down there before? Cause like, do you really yeah. think it looks different or do you just, are you just noticing down there for the first yeah. time? And yeah. I don't think I really look down there very often, like, yeah. you know, and I remember postpartum being like, is that what my vagina always looked like? Like, is, is that supposed to be there? Right. I don't know. Well, <laughs> and other things too, like, I mean, we all hear stories about, oh, well, you know, I, you, you had issues crawling or maybe you didn't crawl and you just skipped to walking or maybe you had like hip issues when you were babies. Like all those little things, it's not like we magically wake up one day and just because we had a baby, these things happen. Like we have however many years that we yes. used our body and what that use looked like and what our strategies look like, everything leading up to that. And we continue to con- carry that forward. And I, I don't want to, you know, go to younger generations and be like, watch out for this. Like mm-hmm. it's literally, Hey, look at this, see what it feels like, feel what it feels like. You're just fine. This is okay. But like, I don't want them to be like, well, if you don't do that, cause I, I can't prevent anything necessarily. It's like, I, I talk about it like a recipe, like you and I can have the exact same symptoms and completely different reasons and ingredients on how we got to that, you know, that end product. Um, but it's just being aware that we use our bodies in different ways for different things and it's going to come with us. Um, I also, I really like that recipe analogy because also if you and I have the same recipe and we do the same, we're baking cookies, it's still going to taste different. It's not going to taste the exact same. And we, we assume that, oh, if we do the perfect prenatal education and the birth classes that it's preventative, but the, it's not, it's more education and empowerment and yes. understanding. So you're not fearful rather right. than actual p- true prevention. Yeah. My, my great grandmother, um, she, I, I was lucky enough to have her in my life till I was like eight or 10. And she um, would bake these rolls and the, in the dinner rolls, it was, it was a very simple recipe. And so um, she, my mom wrote down the recipe and I'll make them every year for our Thanksgiving and our Christmas and for, I mean, I've been trying to do this probably about 15, 18 years now to get it like the texture, right. And the taste, right. And of course my husband doesn't know what they're supposed to taste like, but here's the thing. My great grandmother was blind. Mm-hmm. And so she didn't have a recipe. It was in her head and what she felt. And so <laughs> oh, wow, that's incredible. Is generally what we kind of figured it was, but it could be a little more, a little less. And so that's what I've been trying to do over the years. And so I think that's a great analogy for, 
you know, we, it's hard to reproduce somebody else's results exactly because it's always going to be a little bit different, a little extra this, a little less of that. Like you can have the same items, but it completely can be different. So exactly. And yep. That's, that's, first of all, that's incredible that she was blind and baked. And oh, she was badass. That's just amazing. And I, I often think about like how many women in the older generations were just such like leaders and because they lived in a time when maybe women weren't at, you know, as valued or respected, you know, in the same way, it's, it's like, but there's still, yeah, there are like messages still being passed on in future generations. So. Yeah, she was um, very much the matriarch on my dad's side of the family for sure. So that's awesome. I also think it's so true with our kids. Like when my daughter, when my son was born, my daughter was about two and a half, and she was helping me reach for the postpartum pads. She she knew yeah. everything. She thought I was in the bathroom with me. So she would yeah. ask, she would want to look at what my postpartum, my Loki and my postpartum bleeding look like every day to make sure it was improving. Like she knew everything. She knows when I'm on my period. I love oh yeah. <laughs> and, but like, it's just normal for her. Right. And yeah. I'm like thinking, I want my son to also grow up thinking that like, this is normal because it is normal to have a period. It is normal for our bodies to change over time, both men and women. It's just we're yeah. so hyper focused on women's bodies changing. We don't yeah. if we if we were to hyper focus on men's bodies changing, oh, you, we see yeah. it too. Oh, another wrinkle here, another gray hair. Oh, yeah. saggy skin here. But we just we're just not um, we're just yeah. So hyper focus on aesthetics for, with with women, and I think that that's something that leads to a lot of postpartum shame as well. Is like, yeah. oh, I look different. I'm not as attractive as I was before. It's like, yeah. you know, if you were to examine your partner and they looked different a year later, would you be, you know, would you say, oh, you're not as attractive. You're sagging a little bit more. Like, no. You can't tell me you were going to go through all that. Nothing's going to be different. You're like, I don't want my 20 something body. I'll be honest with you. (laughs) No. Well, and that's so funny that you ask, or not funny, but I think it's so important that you ask people what their expectations are, because it's true. If their expectations were at 11, 12 weeks postpartum to go back to running 90 miles without symptoms. Yeah. Um, it's not the treat. It's not that their body needs to change. It's maybe their expectations too, yeah. right? It's like maybe the treatment is less, oh, strength, more, more glute training for you. It's give it time. These yeah. are unrealistic expectations perhaps yeah. uh, for some people. And I love that you do that in the work that you do. Um, can you talk a little bit about running? So I know your passion is also helping people get back to running and yep. you're a runner too, and I'm a runner and I love that. Um, tell me about, tell me a little bit more about that. I, I have run, oh my gosh, I think I started competing in seventh grade and probably just goofed off and ran before that. It's always been something that was, um, just super fun for me. I was really slow as a kid. Like I'd be that kid that's just slowly running by and I'd be smiling <laughs> and waving at my parents and bless their hearts. So They're like, cute. she's last. <laughs> um, and then one day I think it was like my last race in eighth grade. All of a sudden I, I figured out I had some wheels in there somewhere. Um, and, um, really enjoyed it through high school. I stopped a little bit freshman year in college because no one was making me do anything. And so it was a little bit of protest mm-hmm. and then realized, Oh, <laughs> I should probably yeah, enjoy this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, for me, like I, I, I probably, you know, got a little bit into racing. I did one, um, marathon back in Oh four. And then a couple years later had my hip surgery. So, um, 
you know, I'm not one of those people that I'm going to go out and do altars or racing is a huge big deal for me. It's more mental health. Um, it's just a happy place for me and um, was able to get back to it relatively asymptomatically after my son and then um, not so much after my daughter and um, just again, trying to navigate that. And that's probably one of the hardest things um, or the hardest clients I remember having back in the day before we would talk about, you know, impact training and stuff that that's very kind of normal now, but that wasn't even a couple of years ago is how do you get somebody to run without leakage or pressure or things like that? And again, that was one of those things that I'm like, all right, well, if I can't do it for myself, who am I to teach somebody else? So I need right. to figure this out for myself. Um, and really just found, um, because there's no research there, just it, it's getting better, but there's not a lot is, is going and bastardizing a lot of the return to run from like Achilles tendinopathy or things like that, that you're having to return back to impact. So it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. And really just kind of bastardizing some of that stuff. And that's when I kind of started to do some screening using some of the return to run after injury screens. And then in 19 is when um, Grunya and Emma and Tom had come out with that baseline um, guideline. So that they gave us a much more broad platform to start to, to go after that. And I can't wait for that to continue to be updated. So for me, it's always been a population that I have enjoyed working with. And then it's also incredibly challenging. And for some reason, I am drawn to things that are complex and frustrating that people <laughs> have a hard time figuring out. It's true because some people are like, oh, <laughs> runners, like, you know, runners are runners. You know, they're obsessed with running. They want to keep doing it. If they have injuries, they want to get back as soon as possible. Yeah. And even in orthopedics, like I remember seeing runners and I, because I was a runner, I think I had a bit more empathy too, but people would be told, people come see me, they'd be, they'd be told, oh, my doctor just said to stop to, if I didn't want to have knee pain, know, ankle pain anymore, just so stop. Crappy. And yeah. it's like, uh, like, sure. But then what do we do? We just don't leave our house and don't do any sports or activities because there's a risk of injury. You know, here's the thing though. If somebody tells you to stop doing what you love, like, I don't know about you, but like, I just tuned them out. So, and I think for me, that was like, all right, well, if they're just going to tune me out, if I say no, what if I say yes? And, right. yeah. and so again, for me, I think it was, if it were me, what would I want? What would I, you know, how, how could I introduce a gradual way back that's, that provides kind of a basic understanding of what's going on and an ability to kind of play because we don't know the exact steps forward, but a way to kind of navigate that. And so really, I, th I think that came, it's always something that I've done, but really became an area that I was hyper-focused on during the pandemic because the gyms were closed, because that was the easy thing and the safe thing to do outside um, and something that, you know, was my saving grace, um, kind of during the, this entire pandemic. So that I, I it's always been there, but really became a, a big focus for me, both working with moms and then also educating other postpartum professionals, because there's so many physios that are in pelvic PT that have no background in orthopedics, like, which I totally don't understand, but I don't um, get that either. <laughs> or they go right into public yes, right from school. school and it's like, like you need some experience <laughs> during the whole body 
with like maybe simpler areas? <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it, I, 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 am past, I used to be president of um, the American, so it was uh, the Academy of Public Health PT in the state. So it's our kind of national um, special interest group. And so that was always hard for me because on one hand, you're like, yay, you love our specialty. But I'm like, why do you like this so early? <laughs> I think part of it is people are like, oh, this is a specialization. I can make yeah. more money. I'm like a specialist now. And yeah. especially in Canada, the term specialist is not you can't use it. So even oh, if you're, yeah, even if you're like a pelvic health expert, like you can't use the term specialist for whatever mm-hmm. reason. And then there's this huge, long drawn out way. If you want to get a de- designation of specialist yes. that like you have to be able to do research and you have like, there's yeah. And yeah. which is maybe, <laughs> maybe good, but you know that people are still loosely using this term. Yeah. And I honestly don't think you can be a specialist in pelvic health PT, even if those you d- you've done every course when you've just graduated and you don't yeah. know what the impact of that area of the body is with everything else. And yeah. I think that a lot of the clients that I see now have seen a pelvic PT who perhaps works that way is, you know, lacks... We, we talk about like micro and macro, right? They're like micro, yeah. micro, like looking down there and maybe they're really good at that. But the big picture, the macro view of like, how does this fit into this person's life? Yeah. You know, it's, it's very similar here. A, um, a lot of the specialization um, and I joke around about, you know, the alphabet soup after your name. And I feel like I can joke about <laughs> it because I have it. So um, I can do self-deprecation. Um, but no, like a lot of it was, we get in a pissing contest down here yes. about, do you do internal or you're, you're not an internal therapist? I'm like, honestly, I could give to whatever's, you know, like this does not make me special. Um, it, it really doesn't. And, you know, the things that people say that they do with that, and I was like, no, this is just tactile input to their brain. That's literally all it is. Yes, I, this one is more educated than this one. But yeah, this I think one. that's hilarious because it's so true. I'm like, do you really need me to stick my fingers up you in order to tell you that the pain you're feeling there is yeah. hypertension, hypertonic because yeah. you're, you know, like this is but, just confirming what I already know. Exactly. And, <laughs> and sometimes it can be misleading. And I think that sometimes when you're doing, when you're quick to do internal without really understanding the person's full story, I'll give yeah. you an example. Like when I went to my pelvic PT again, she's amazing. She's great at what she does, but it was like, all right, you're a standard postpartum person. So I'm going to do this standard assessment yeah. without understanding your history. You know, oh, you cross country ski race. Oh, you run. Oh, you rock climb. Oh, like doesn't know any of that. You're just a standard postpartum person. And oh, you have tension on the left side here, which means we got to do some self, like some massage. And I'm like, I do not need to do any massage. I need to strengthen my glutes. I need to chill the F out with my tension (laughs) and practice some breathing and all this other stuff. But because you went there right away, you assume that that's the biggest piece of the puzzle. And you know, you haven't really seen everything else that's kind of part of the picture. The solution is for that is if we go on like a big Nordic ski vacation weekend, that'll fix all of it because that's our glutes. That's our relaxation. (laughs) Honestly, the reason all of my injuries started when I quit ski racing. (laughs) Is it really? Oh, everything. Because I used to um, ski race in undergrad and my um, bachelor's. Then I did physio school. Life was busy. I moved back to Toronto, basically was sedentary other than like running here and there and playing ultimate Frisbee with the like physio my classmates. 
And then I started experiencing ankle injuries and all like a slew of yeah. other injuries that happened after that. And then when I got into rock climbing, my strength improved. So things yep. got better. But then pregnancy hit. My first pregnancy was totally sedentary. I had awful mm. nausea. I had bleeding. I, could, I wasn't allowed to exercise. Um, and I was very anxious because of it. I was afraid of loss the entire pregnancy. So yeah. it was it was a bad time. And then postpartum hit. And then when I had all these symptoms, it was like I was the weakest I'd ever been. Yep. And instead of if you if you knew me as a person and you had asked what was your history like, what kinds of things did you do before, you would know that. But when you're just assuming yeah. that the person in front of you is just a postpartum mom and that every yeah. postpartum mom is the same, I think you miss that. Yeah. Um, and totally. I've I've been really finding that my virtual work I, I love learning about people in general so yeah. a lot of it is it's chatting it's finding out who you are because then it's easy to give you the treatment that you need that yeah. will help you feel better yeah um, totally. because yeah Nordic skiing is fantastic oh my gosh I my glutes so <laughs> I miss it because I'm like my goal is to get back into it now a little bit more were you, were you a skate girl or a classic person so I learned to skate initially mm-hmm and then I, in university, you have to race both skate and classic, oh, yeah. which, so I had to learn classic, mm-hmm. but I think that I learned my, my technique with classic is a lot better than with skate. Interesting. With skate is harder for me. Way I, harder. I learned skate myself. So yeah. I taught it myself and I didn't grow up in Canada. So I didn't have experience on skis as a kid. Like a lot of people did. Yeah. My first time on cross country skis was when I was 17 because the swim team was closed they were threatening to close down our swim swimming pool at high school that's how i started too i switched and where the the school that i was leaving we swam in the winter and the school i was going to uh they split it up boys and girls and the girls were in the fall and i wasn't going to give up running so i had to learn my junior year in high school i'm learning with like a bunch of sixth graders Um, and then i went to states my senior year yeah that's so we have a very similar story and how we yeah. being. So it was grade eleven and because I was also in the school play, I was like an extra. It wasn't anything fancy, but I, <laughs> I had to go to practice. So I missed all the lessons. So my first oh. time skiing was the first race, the 5K race. And I, do you know how long it took me to finish a 5K race? Oh, I was I also yeah. in the phase where I was wearing anklets. I had a gold anklet on inside my ski boot which oh, was, my ankle was bleeding idea. by the end of the race. I had never been on skis. I could run, but like, that's not the same as skiing. I kept falling and this 5k race mm-hmm. took me an hour, 19 minutes and 24 seconds. I'll never forget that. Mm-hmm. And my team was still there at the very end with their like freezing with their hot chocolates waiting for me to finish. And, but for some reason, I just loved it. It was such a beautiful yeah. feeling being in the woods surrounded yeah. by the snow. It's quiet. It's yeah. You know, and I loved it. So I, I, you know, obviously I learned and I got better, but because I taught myself, my technique was really not great. Yeah. And I've had to unlearn a lot of bad habits with uh, skate. Um, but I, I actually probably enjoy skate more than classic. Yeah. There's to me, there's nothing better than like a beautiful straightaway and like a gorgeous yes. V2 alternate and you're just yes. gliding and it's quiet. <laughs> yeah. I live in Toronto, but when I lived in Ottawa briefly for, I did um, co-op. So I had work terms in my undergrad. So I'd been, I lived in Ottawa for a lot of my work terms mm-hmm. and there's beautiful snow in the like oh. the Gatineau park. And there's these long, beautiful straightaways oh. with a slight decline. You're just like oh. gliding and it's so you. sunny and beautiful. 
Best food um, exercise ever. It is. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, there's a reason why skiers have great buns because they're using totally. them. And I yep. think that um, that's a big part of just understanding the people that we work with and mm-hmm. what their likes and dislikes are and maybe finding ways that just we can help it. them within within that. Totally. And now can you tell me a little bit more about how you've also added in transition or added in educating uh, postpartum professionals? Because a lot of your work is also with pros. Yeah. So I actually, it was just about a year ago. um, Well, actually, no, it was at the beginning of COVID. My intention was to do some virtual education, uh, more client facing, so patient facing sorts of things. And then COVID hit. And of course, everybody wanted to do it. And about a year ago, I launched um, a mom-facing course, The Real Mom's Guide to Postpartum Return to Run. And I had a lot of professionals reach out to me and be like, "Uh, can you teach me how to do this? Can you teach me how to work? And so my background actually, um, before I had my oldest, so do the math on that, he's almost 11, um, working at Georgetown University Hospital, I was actually developing uh, a clinical residency. And was all set to go and came back from maternity leave and uh, told them I was going to go part-time. And they said, well, you can't run a residency and be part-time. And I said, okay, fine. Um, Went on my merry way. Two and a half years later, I'm on maternity leave with my daughter and they call me up and say, can you run a residency? So (laughs) nothing else had changed other than I had one more kid. (laughs) Yeah. They just needed you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so um, we had, uh, one of our inpatient therapists who'd actually been a PT for 20 years was interested in um, shifting to outpatient and getting out of uh, inpatient care. And so she became my first resident and she was part-time, which was fantastic. And it worked out with our schedules. And so I actually have a lot of background in curricular development. Um, I teach at our local university here, Marymount University. Um, And so I actually have a lot of background Um, I've spoken at a lot of our national conferences here for the American Physical Therapy Association. And so for me, educating other professionals was very much a part of my wheelhouse and um, seemed to be a pretty easy transition to say, and not so much like, okay, here's how you do this thing, which is, I think, the assumption. But like when you work with residents or when you work with mentees, it's very different than working with a student. A student, um, they're so basic. You're, you're, you are correcting, you are providing and jumping in and that sort of thing. Whereas as a mentor, mentee or, you know, a, a residency mentor and a resident, um, I, I want to know how you think. I want to watch you problem solve through this. And my job as a mentor is to guide you not to put the answer in front of you. And so I think that's what where. I think the education that I provide professionals is very different. I'm not going to teach you um, a cookbook way of doing something because come on, we've been to those courses that they're like, Oh, just do this, this, and this. And you're like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Yeah. Like they pull somebody from the group and this is an amazing result. And then you go back and try it on your patient and it blows up in your face. I (laughs) know exactly the kind of course you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah hate those or, courses because you're like, like, I learned nothing. Thank you for just wasting my time. Well, and then you're just like, I just dropped all this money on this yes. minutia thing. And yeah. I can't remember the fifth step, which means I can't do the rest of it. And so I was like, I, I can't function <laughs> that way. And I was like, really, it just needs to be a framework on how to problem solve through a complicated situation. And I want to be there to help kind of 
give you the framework, but then guide you how to do this yourself. Um, and so that's, so we created, um, it's the real mom's guide to postpartum return to run pro edition. Nice. Um, and so we've had two cohorts run through. We actually just finished our second cohort this week. And, um, I also made it a point to make sure that it's available, not to just physios. Um, the other beauty of being more virtual and being on social, um, physios, um, can get a little too big for their britches sometimes and get a little, um, little inside themselves and a little egoish, um, Mm -hmm. and my way or the highway sort of thing and get in pissing contests. And I found that in a lot of the coaches and postpartum training arenas, it's not so much that way. And I think when you talk to somebody um, not as I'm above you, but Hey, we are looking at this issue and you have this really unique way of looking at things with eyes that I, you know, I look at it from a different way. Can we figure out a way to kind of look at this globally together and leverage each other? Um, which again, I don't know, we're awesome about that in, in physio. Um, but I found that to be much more of, um, working with strength and conditioning coaches, postpartum coaches and trainers that's more the philosophy. And so any education that I provide, it's for any postpartum profession. I don't care what you do. Um, I love that. It's meant so that we can all learn from each other. And I I like having a collaborative environment that we can um, network with each other and be like, oh, hey, you're in Toronto. I know somebody in Toronto. Why don't you check her out? She's awesome. She's amazing. She'd be able to help you out. Um, Just because we're so much better when we collaborate together yeah. than when we're in our own little islands and in our own little heads. Um, Cause it gets lonely there too. <laughs> I love that because I think that's true with physio as well. I've noticed yeah. that. And you know, it's interesting because since I started my Instagram page just over a year ago, I've had a lot of, of my old colleagues, people I've known reach out and be like, Oh, uh, I have a patient with diastasis. Like what yeah. exercise should I give them? And they're just looking for a cookie cutter. Like, and I'm like, that's a really complex answer to give. Like maybe learn something instead of just trying to half ass. And a lot of these comments are coming from male PTs too, because they, they don't understand, you know, when you don't know what you don't know, they just have no idea the like amount of information that they actually need to learn Mm -hmm. and the experience that they need to gain um, in pelvic health because they just haven't done it. And, and I think that physios, there is a lot of ego like, oh, well, I don't need to learn this. I already know everything. And that's probably why we see a lot of new grads in pelvic health and in a lot of fields because new grads are willing to learn. But then once they're like established, they just, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why it exists that there is like that. It is pissing contest even here. Um, (laughs) And I love trainers and coaches because (laughs) what's that? We like to be right. (laughs) I know. And maybe that's, maybe that's it. And I sometimes I'm like, oh, is it because... I don't know, a lot of PTs, maybe did, did they want to be doctors and then they didn't. So they're like, ego is you know crushed or something. Know. Like, what is I mean, it? In the States here, I mean, every everybody that comes out is at a doctoral level. I, I came out when it was still master's and then went back and got my doctorate. And, and my whole thing is treating people and acting like a technician. A is boring and B, that's if I'm supposed to be functioning at a doctoral level, I, I, I tell my students, I was like, think about how much you just paid for this degree. And they have the hardest time when they do their capstone study and they're, and they're like, what do you think is going on? And we go, I don't know. Or they give me a list of impairments. I'm like, no, I'm asking you for your opinion. I am asking you for your clinical doctoral backed 
opinion. Like, yeah. why, why are you scared to have one? <laughs> you know? know, they're always afraid of being wrong. You know, when I have yeah. a feeling about something, I don't want to, like, I'm not a technician. That's not how my brain works. So don't ask me to be that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that that's what you're probably also teaching people the problem solving and the clinical skills so that they're able to go into the field and just work with anybody without being like, Oh God, I need to like review the textbook for those three exercises that I have to, I have to do. Right. Uh, And I went to physio school with people like that is like, I remember one of my um, friends that I I used to study with would be like, okay, so how do you strengthen the biceps? And then would like write it down. Okay. So how do you strengthen? It's like without actually thinking me like, okay, where does the muscle start and end? And what are the ways that we can strengthen? Um, So I think that is awesome. And when is your next cohort? Uh, so we're probably going to launch the pro one next. Um, I'm thinking probably late January, early February. And then, um, the mom facing one, I'm actually in the process right now of making it evergreens, meaning that it's just going to be available because whoever, whenever, um, because obviously, you know, women have kids when they have kids and they're ready to get back to run whenever. And so I, I did the, the first two as specific launches just to kind of make sure that, um, the content was going to serve the people that um, I, I want to work with. And it's it's pretty much the same format, too, in the context that um, before you get started, you need to be aware of your deficits. Lay it all out. What do we need to work on? And so when the question comes up of when can I start running? Well, if you didn't pass any items on your screen, we've got some work to do. Or if you did pass all your items on your screen, then we can start to have a conversation about when to progress and what you need to do and so on. So I'm very much a proponent of understanding why, as opposed to just mindlessly doing something and also giving people the power to choose, because let's be honest, you're going to do things that are driven from your own internal desire to do it. Um, not necessarily because somebody told Someone you, told to. you. So yeah. if, if you can make that realization for yourself, then you're more invested in, in trying to do those things. I love that. And I will share the links to that as well with anyone who is listening um, so that you can access that information. And um, I think that's the best information that there is out there for anyone who is looking to get back to running. And does somebody have to be a certain amount of time postpartum or um, do they have to have done any like basic rehab before they do do that? Or does that, does your program involve all that? Yeah. So I actually have some people that have bought it in pregnancy because they're super prepared people um, and want to learn about things ahead of time, which I'm fine with. Who may have um, laminated their own uh, birth plan. Yeah. I tell people not to do that. Like I love a good laminator. Don't get me wrong. I still do, but just it's, I know it's funny, but it was true. I actually yeah. did. I was being very thoughtful. I, I wanted them to have that there for reference and not worry about it getting dirty. Um, so it came, it came very in the thoughtful. right place, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it's one of those things that like, if, if, if you start this program, you know, four or five weeks postpartum, at least gives you a place to start to think about where you're going. Or if you're three, four, five years postpartum, and finally your kids are out of the house and you have a hot second to rub together to actually get back to things, it gives you a place to start, um, and then figure out where to go from there. And, and again, I, one of my favorite things to do is to give people the power to, kind of understand where they are. But then if you do need local resources, um, being able to connect them to really well vetted resources in their area, or even just teach them how to vet those resources and what questions to ask to make sure that they're getting what they are looking for. Amazing. Um, 
So yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Carrie. And I have some more questions for you and we're going to wrap up and to go into our final thoughts section. Sure. Um, I would like to know a little bit more about you. Do you have any favorite books or podcasts that you like listening to? Oh gosh. I ebb and I flow. Um, sometimes I, I go fiction and then, and sometimes I go straight, you know, work stuff. Um, I'm reading, a, I just finished um, Atomic Habits, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, talks a lot about like time blocking and making sure that you're sandwiching things. So I, like, for example, with a mom yesterday, we were talking about when to get her workouts in for like the weeks that her kids are at school and then the weeks that her kids are home because there's some sort of COVID quarantine. So let's be honest, it's every other week. Yeah. Um, and so she's still pumping. So she's like, all right, well, I'm going to pump and then immediately do this 10 minute workout. I know exactly what it is. And then afterwards I'm going to take a shower. And so amazing she's not, she's not going to not pump. So we're like, that's a perfect thing to, to just like go right Tack from it on to the next. Yeah. So that was huge, both for me personally and for, you know, helping other moms. Um, I'm reading the midnight library right now. My, mm. my niece actually pointed it out to me. It's a girl that, um, she thinks she wants to die, but she goes to this library of all these infinitesimal number of lives that she could have had based upon the choices that she could have made. It's kind of interesting, but my, Very cool. my teenage niece turned me onto that one. <laughs> That's cool. You know what? I, I love that too. Like learning from the newer, I guess, newer books and the stuff that they're reading just to mm -hmm. kind of stay current too. Right. She's super cool. She's, I think she's a sophomore this year, which I can't even handle. Wow. Um, and I love just having conversations with her about like current events and different things. And she's just a cool kid. That's um, awesome. Um, and how about podcasts? Do you listen to podcasts? Uh, I do. Uh, my podcast game totally changed. Uh, when I was still commuting to Georgetown, I had about 15, 20 minute commute. And now my office is two blocks from my house. Yeah. So it kind of got cut short. <laughs> Three um, minute commute. I'm, right? Yeah. Um, Adam Grant's podcast. I love um, Adam Grant. Uh, what did, oh my gosh, I can't even think what he wrote recently. Think, think again. Yes. Or, yeah. Yep. Think again is what yeah. he did. So he's it's got on my list too. Yep. And I love just, he's very kind of approachable. And um, he, I, I listened to one last weekend on a run. It was him and oh God, Allison Felix. It was so good. Oh my gosh. Nice. Um, Cause she's just like the most decorated uh, Olympian and she's yeah. a mom and she kind of battled Nike for, um, maternal rights and all sorts of stuff. And that was just an amazing podcast. So yeah, I'm a big fan of Adam Grant. Nice. And what are three things that you try to do for yourself every day? Mm, one is I go to, uh, I go to the gym, I go to CrossFit. Um, I had to change gyms recently and have found a really nice community. And it just means that I have to get up at five and be there at five thirty two days a week. Oh so <laughs> <laughs> that's a big one. Um, but that's been good. Um, uh, I try and meditate every day. Um, I've been a huge fan of headspace. Um, I used to think it was stupid to have to pay to meditate, but again, it's accountability. Yeah. Um, so that's a big thing. And then the third thing I would say is um, uh, sometimes changing from like job entrepreneur hat to mom, like I'll go directly from work to go pick up the kids from school. And my kids, like I said, they're, they're elementary school age. So you, it's kind of like picking up a grenade. You don't know what's going to happen if it's going to blow up in your face or be. That's totally good to fine. know that it's going to be like that for a while oh, because that's how yeah. it is now. And uh... it gets worse. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. 
<laughs> and, and how to figure out how to make uh, boys talk to you. That's a good one too. Um, so fortunately I have the walk home and then I have the walk from my house to my kid's school to basically just wrap up one thing and kind of make sure that I'm available, um, that I'm not thinking about work things when I pick them up and bring them home. We talk about homework and snacks and, and, you know, crazy things like that. So for me, just having actual physical time and space so that I can, be available Switch for them. Years. Yeah, totally. Totally. That's, that's great. And I also wanted to comment that you gave me great advice on, um, just even waking up and thinking of like one good thing or one thing that you're grateful for, or one thing that you're good at, you know, starting the day off with that positive frame yeah. of mind has been huge for me because, you know, for those of you with little kids at home, you're sometimes woken up by screams and like, that's not yes. a great way to start your day. No. And like, I'm not going to wake up at five before them because I'm <laughs> desperate for any sleep at all because my son still wakes through the night. So it's like, I'm sleeping till the very last second. And yeah. it's just been such a simple thing and a quick thing to really like oh, change great. my mindset. So I'm I wanted so to say that. that that was super helpful. And what's something that you've been into lately that you're passionate about? Oh my goodness. Um, so, and I haven't actually really talked about this. So I, you know, cause we all went through pandemic and, you know, pandemic weight and blah, blah, blah. And, and I was not feeling good about what was, I, I wasn't feeling good about my body and which is a lot for me to say, I'll be honest with you. And, um, I'm 45. So I was thinking, okay, is this pandemic? Is this stress? Is this perimenopause? What is this? And so, um, beginning of August, um, actually read a book. Uh, it was like June or July and forgive me. I cannot remember the name of it. The, the guy's last name was Easter. Basically it was uh, talking about resilience and they interviewed this nutrition guy who apparently like would go to like Eastern Bloc countries and work with like these Eastern Bloc you know, high level athletes and that sort of thing. And so I Google stalked the guy and go figure he had a nutrition program. And so I, his, his name is Trevor Cashy. And I did this uh, boot camp nutrition program for, it actually just finished up um, beginning of October and totally blew my, my own mind that actually uh, nutrition matters, go figure. And what, and I think what I connected with on it was that, you need to make decisions based on data, which is what I do with all my clients. I lay the data out and then I make the information. And so having to look methodically at what I was eating and weighing things, which I was not a fan of initially. And now I'm like, oh, well, now I know what that is. And now I can make a decision based upon that. And the other thing that was incredibly awkward is they made us take pictures of ourselves in bathing oh suits gosh. in the beginning. I'm like, ah! I can't remember the last time I've ever done that, but... Well, no, I was really, I, and, and I got, I felt really pissed about it in the beginning. I was like, I don't want to do this. And then I also know the advice that I, you know, whatever you resist, you know, obviously there's something behind that. Think it's so, a little deeper, yeah. Yeah. And so three months later, and it, it's funny because nobody's really said anything because I don't think I've hung out with anybody and I, <laughs> so the like weight doesn't really look different. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm down like 13, 14 pounds. So I was like, okay, maybe there's something to this nutrition. So for me, now it's like looking at with the kids and my husband, like, okay, so in my daughter's, she's my little string bean and she'll eat anything, but like talking to my husband about, hey, you know what, these little things that you think you're doing fine, we actually need to 
look at it for what it is mm-hmm. um, and be objective with ourselves because we are seeing things through goggles. Um, and really when we're faced with it black and white, then that internal realization comes that, okay, I do have the ability to change this. And for me, I, I think I'm passionate about this now because it's very easy at my age to blame things on age alone um, or yeah. age alone or perimenopause or whatever it is or stress. And all those things hadn't changed and I was still able to, to do this. So I, I think oh. for a lot of moms, once you've had kids and they're in school and you want to get back to kind of yourself a little bit and you think, oh, well, is this how it's going to be? No, it's not. But you have to look in the mirror and get uncomfortable with yourself a little bit. So I haven't talked about that with anybody. So you've got the the scoop. I've got the inside (laughs) scoop. That's so interesting. I'll have to look him up. And I think that the thing with nutrition, I was talking to somebody, it's like, ultimately, nutrition comes down to a lot of like, how you feel about yourself, self, like what you feel like you deserve to put in your body. Uh, As women, we either get shamed for eating things that are like tasty or like Mm -hmm. treats or it's like the the other opposite where it's like, you know, eat everything that you want as you want, which yep. which is fine and dandy. But I know for like as an athlete, if you're running, if you're running a business, yeah. nutrition is so important to support yep. our needs, to help us be more resilient to stress, to, you we know, just recover. We just feel I just, better. And, I, and, and had you asked me before, did I eat like poo? I didn't think I did. Right. Mm. And I was like, I, oh, actually, maybe you did. <laughs> well, and I think that that whole um, keeping track of stuff that, you know, I'm not there. It's too early for me to think about. But oh, one thing that I was wrong. thinking about is protein even. Like keeping track of like how much do I actually intake a day? Mm-hmm. How much do I act, How much fat do I actually eat? How many of these types mm-hmm. of nutrients am I actually getting? Yep. Um, and is it as – you know, varied as I think it is, because you're right, because data is yeah. what kind of determines a lot of it. And sometimes yep. we we only look at like, I remember, yeah, I had vegetables yesterday, but did I have, how, how many did I right. have? But really, when you see the number of how much and you're like, yeah. oh, there's protein in that versus like, uh, like just a piece of cod, there's a lot of protein in a piece of cod versus like a little protein bar or something like that. Or, you know, That's what like I more, noticed, yeah. yeah, what I noticed, like, I didn't go into calorie deficit at all. It was just reframing oh. the macros it wasn't it wasn't deficit at Interesting. all um and i think that was the part we started okay this is we just did a, a notice week this is what you're doing and then we gradually started to change it up slowly so my protein i think we started at like 60 grams then went 70 80 and now i'm up at 90 um i couldn't have started there right off the bat but now like that's pretty normal um i don't get hungry in the morning i'm able to kind of get through and, and be fine and um I I think the other thing too is just being aware of you think you're doing the right thing. um, And like, what, what does that actually mean? You know, there's so many diets out there. They're like, fruits are bad because they have sugar. No, they're like, and that's what this thing was is you can eat whatever you want as long as it fits into, and you hit these categories the way you need to. That was Mm, it. That's awesome. Oh, that's easy. (laughs) I know. Cause many of us just need like it's like working with a coach, like someone to simplify it for you. So you'll yep. actually and hold you accountable. So you'll do it yep. because we all know certain things are good for us. Like we know drinking water is good for us, but then do we yep. actually drink more than a cup a day if we're not right. motivated to or held accountable? Yeah. Um, and well, I, I like that. Little things like, and, and he got more into the behavioral side of things, which I appreciated. Like how many meals do you eat standing up? 
Yeah. Are you mindful when you're eating? Are you just chewing and focusing? Are you inhaling? And so like, it, it just, it changes digestion. It changes a lot of that stuff. And for me, even just like, we did a lot of takeout during COVID because I same tired of, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's pandemic survival. Yeah. Ass, right. And so again, taking the time to look at a menu and getting things the way you want to have them, as opposed to just the way that it is like you, you can do that. It's not hard. Um, and if I didn't do that, like I didn't feel great the next day or I was extra gassy or I was this or that. And then you realize I, I don't have to feel like crap. Hey, I'm all signed <laughs> up for that. <laughs> uh, I'm a, I've been a vegetarian all my life. So I've had to be creative with like yeah. eating out in general because there's not always options other than like a plain yeah. salad and like with no protein. And so I feel like I've noticed that over the years, though, that because there's more vegetarian options, there yeah. there's also more um, not very nutrition dense vegetarian options. So yes. it's like the same as like a whatever yeah. an unhealthy quote unquote meat meal, but now they've had a meat substitute, right. which is not really that healthy. So yep. I've had to really be like, okay, if we are getting takeout. Cause I, same, I started noticing postpartum, my stomach was more sensitive to things like dairy, yeah. to things like oils, like that were like yeah. just, you know, vegetable oil or grease that, you know, fries or whatnot. Uh, and even just changing things like the oil that it's cooked in, changing yeah. how you're cooking it makes such yeah, a huge totally. difference in how you feel. Totally. Yeah. So very, that, very that's cool. kind of been my focus. Your new things recently. Months, so yeah. Nice. And then my last question for you is what would you say is your mom's strength? Oh. <laughs> um, honestly, probably the fact that I get up butt crack early in the morning. <laughs> I, that is my my weakness, my strongest weakness, probably. So I kudos to you because that is very hard. But you also did write something on the little form. Oh, what did I, I say? You. you said your curiosity. Oh, that too. Um, so yeah, you share so a little bit. Yeah, I feel like that's something that's that's been newer too. Um, I mean, it's it's been a very polarizing couple of years living here in the states, and I think in the world period. Um, and you know, we and there's a place for curiosity. I think it's easier in some situations than others. And just I, again, same thing with clients too. Like if they come in with a certain or or you know even with your kids with a certain expectation or you know, your kid's like, well, I want this and you just don't want me, whatever. Well, tell me why you think that. Like, I want to understand that instead of assume. And so I've been trying to do that a bit more um, nice. and just trying to understand. And especially with kids, because I, I like having my own way. So when they get older, it's harder because that whole free will thing. And so <laughs> trying to. Here I was, I thought it'd get easier, but okay, no. good to know. <laughs> No, no. And I mean, I think what's hard is like my, my daughter, she'll talk to me and I can, I know exactly what's going on in her head and I, I can kind of predict a lot of things. And sometimes she'll surprise me. Whereas my son, I am learning how to communicate with a, a soon to be tween. Um, and it's hard. It's really hard. And things that occur to him, I never would have thought of or so get, making sure that I have space to be curious for him mm. so that I'm not just shutting him down because he's not my most he's not going to come with all his feelings <laughs> yeah. yeah and I think just even like making space for and time yeah. to like be there I feel like is a yeah. huge thing um we had a great conversation the other day oh my gosh um we do like these little dates every once in a while he loves Starbucks um soy chai iced and so I'm like, you know what? It's fine. I'll let you have that. And so 
that was my jam when I was postpartum and it was too much to go to a Starbucks and the grocery store. So we go to the grocery store that had the Starbucks in it. Nice. And so, cause he, he was, I mean, he didn't sleep till he was five. Like he, he was not the easiest kid. And so I was telling him this story as we're driving away from the Starbucks drive through and he's drinking his soy chai. And I was like, dude, if I got through my day and I got a soy chai and we made it alive through the store, it was a good day. And he just thought it was the funniest thing. He's like, well, why was that so hard? And I'm like, I didn't know what the heck I was doing as your mom. And like, you weren't the easiest thing in the world. And <laughs> you know, it was just funny to have that conversation with him as, you know, a 10 and a half year old boy. Yeah. Um, that this was my dude for two and a half years, you know? And um, so it's, it's just fun to get to know him a little bit. That's cute. And yeah. that's cute that he likes the same same kind of drink. I know. That you, he thinks you it's drink. hysterical. <laughs> that's funny. Hey, maybe he got some some of that through you or something. I don't I know. Think he thinks that. I don't know if it's true or not, but he's got good taste. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carrie, thank you so much for spending your time with us today and sharing all of your knowledge, your experience, your wisdom. Uh, and I'm so excited for um, – the listeners, how can they reach you with questions or comments? What's your best, what's yeah. the best way? Uh, easiest way to get to me is on Instagram. It's just at Carrie Pagliano. I, I answer all my DMs um, and that's where I spend the most time because it's much happier than Twitter. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't even gone into Twitter or any of the don't, other. Don't go. Yeah. Don't go. It's a dark space. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So I'll, I will include a link to that as well. Uh, and if you're listening to this and you enjoy this conversation, please do subscribe to the Mom Strength podcast and give Carrie a follow if you aren't already. Um, and share this podcast with a friend who you think would benefit from hearing it. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Mom Strength and being part of this important conversation. Check out the show notes for more info and links, and we'll chat again real soon.